Welcome back to the big program. Uh, 10.05 in Edmonton. Uh, we're just uh, trying to reach out to Tim Murray from V's in Primetime. We'll have him on the line in just a moment. So, Furzy, did you watch a lot of the college football on the weekend? Was that up your alley or what? Uh, you know what? I watched a little bit of the Washington game yeah. and a little bit of the Alabama game. Okay. Um, so... Did are you? I watch bits and pieces. Yeah, it's it, there were so many games. It's hard to to do them all. But uh, do you have a a favorite team or uh, some uh, someone you follow a little more than others? Not really in college. Yeah, I mean, I've got some friends that played for Alabama, so I'll watch oh. Alabama a little bit. And who, who played for I like Alabama? Nick Saban as a coach. Yeah, who played for Alabama that you know, Grant? Uh, Corey Miller. Okay. And then Corey Sons played there as well. Oh, cool. Uh, all, all right, let's uh, let's welcome in uh, Tim Marie from uh, V's in Primetime. Uh, Tim, uh, you're on Sports 1440 with Kevin Carius and the Hockey Hall of Famer, Grant Fuhr. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, fired up to chat with you guys. Well, it's, it's an interesting few days for sure. I guess a simple question. Do you think that the uh, uh, selection committee got things right here? It's actually a loaded question um, because I I do think they did based off of the two best or excuse me the four best teams in the in college football. That all being said, uh, I mean it, you just you feel pretty horrible for uh, for Florida State, right? They they did nothing wrong. They went undefeated. They tested themselves in the non conference uh, and uh, and and they got left out. But you know for college football fans, to be honest, uh, you know I, I think we got the four best teams in the country you can argue georgia should be in there uh, if you're truly going by you know the four best teams um and and you know when it comes to the college football playoff committee i feel like they get an opportunity to 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 do this because the playoffs expanding next year so you know there's not going to be any hot takes of you know the system is broken because Mm -hmm. the system's changing come next year but uh, it really stinks obviously for florida state uh, we saw the reactions that they had. We, you know, heard from Mike Norvell, and I understand all of it. Uh, but ultimately, I am a big college football fan. It's my favorite sport to watch, to talk about. And uh, when New Year's Day comes around, mm-hmm. uh, I am much more excited for Michigan, Bama, Washington, Texas than I would have been if Florida State were to be in one of those uh, semifinals. Go ahead, Grant. Do you think that if Florida State's quarterback doesn't get hurt that they possibly would have snuck into one of the four spots? 100%. No, 100%. And it's it's really unfortunate, right? And, you know, Jordan Travis, you know, put out on social media uh, kind of apologizing, which is just, you, you just, it makes your heart break to think about that he's thinking about that, that he's the reason because he broke his ankle. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, right? He was playing a football game against North Alabama and he got injured. And uh, that's the nature of the beast. And, you know, I, I know that a lot of Florida State people uh, are, are pointing to it, and I think rightfully so. Uh, Alabama struggles in the final week of the regular season. You know, it wasn't that long ago. It was just two weeks ago that Alabama needed a miraculous throw from Jalen Milrow on fourth and goal from the 30-yard line uh, to avoid losing to Auburn as, uh, you know, a two-touchdown favorite. So, you know, Florida State, once again, uh, to your question, if Jordan Travis is healthy, I think there is a 100% chance they are in this college football playoff. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate circumstances that not only did he get hurt, 
But the backup, mm-hmm. Tate Rodemaker, he was concussed uh, in the game that he started against Florida, a game in which they had to come back and win on the road, and they had to start their third-string quarterback in the ACC championship. An ACC championship, which, by the way, they, of course, did win, and the defense played incredibly well. But uh, I think the committee just looked at uh, the, the, the ACC this year as not being a very strong conference. And, uh, you know, with the injury to, Jor- to Jordan Travis, that's why ultimately they were left out. Tim Murray of Eason Primetime, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with co-host Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Now, the other angle, Tim, is television ratings and then money talks. We all know that. Yep. So how big of a play did that come in to factor, you know, with what the selection committee decided here? Yeah, I actually don't. Uh, I don't think it did. And, you know, I know that's kind of been a hot topic, you know, at a lot of spots. Um, you know, look. At the end of the day, you're right. It is a television product, and the ratings for these two games are going to be through the roof. That said, just a year ago, TCU, uh, who is look not a household name, uh, was was you know put into the playoff. Uh, you know, in 2021, uh, Cincinnati, a Group of Five team, uh, was put into the playoff. I mean, in 2021, uh, you know they could have put in Notre Dame over Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati had beaten them in a head-to-head matchup, but uh, if you're talking about you know, TV ratings. Notre Dame is one of the mm-hmm. most highest-rated uh, football programs out there in Cincinnati. You know, nobody you know watches Cincinnati games, so I, I don't think that played into it. I understand that you know there's some low-hanging fruit out there saying that uh, Alabama, Michigan is going to be much more higher-rated than Alabama, or Florida State and Michigan. Mm-hmm. That's fair, uh, but look, we've seen plenty of teams get into the college football playoff that are not your typical household names. And I think you just looked the last year with TCU uh, making the playoff a year in which they didn't even win their conference. Remember, they lost uh, in the conference championship game last year uh, to Kansas State, but ultimately still got into the college football playoff and, and won and then lost by, you know, uh, 58 points to, to Georgia. So I understand why people continue to bring that up. I disagree with it. I, I think ultimately the committee looked at uh, the situation at hand where you've got an SEC champion in Alabama. Uh, the SEC has never been left out of the college football playoff. It is thought to be the best conference in all of college mm-hmm. football, and you can't put in Alabama and not put in Texas, who went to Tuscaloosa earlier this year and won by 10 points. Mm-hmm. So I think ultimately that's what they came down to, and the fact that Jordan Travis was hurt for Florida State helped to give them that easy answer and uh, allowing Florida State to be left out. Grant? So out of the four teams in the championship – who have you got winning it? Yeah, I mean, you look at the point spread, and it's it's really uh, incredible when you think about how closely these teams are believed to be. Uh, Washington, uh, who, you know, I give them a ton of credit. You know, the, the last two games of their regular season, uh, the Washington Huskies, or the last two of the last three games, I should say, uh, they were an underdog. They were an underdog at Oregon State. They went up and won in the driving rain in Corvallis, Oregon, 22-20. to wasn't pretty, but he got it done. And then here in Las Vegas, guys, they were a nine-and-a-half, ten-point underdog to Oregon. Nobody was really giving them a shot, despite the fact that they had already beaten Oregon, and they went out and won uh, by three. So Washington right now about a four-four-and-a-half-point underdog to Texas. Uh, Texas seems to be rolling right now. 
uh, won their regular season finale over Texas Tech by 50, and then went out and uh, won the Big 12 championship by three touchdowns against Oklahoma State. And then you flip it on the other side, you've got Alabama, who seems to be hitting their stride, uh, beating Georgia in the fashion that they did. Uh, you know, I, I thought controlled the game pretty well. And Michigan, I, the, the, the worry I have about Michigan is I just I don't know if they have the playmakers out wide to go up against Alabama and their secondary. So I think Alabama pulls the very, very minor upset. They're only a one-point underdog. Uh, so I think Alabama beats Michigan. And uh, I'm going to go Texas over Washington. And ultimately, guys, I think in the national championship, uh, I'm going to go with Alabama uh, wow. to beat Texas in, uh, in a rematch of, of a game that we got in early September. I will go with uh, Alabama winning that rematch and uh, and Nick Saban winning yet another national championship. Well, I, and a lot of people, they just go, I'm not betting against Nick Saban, and that happens a lot. Uh, Tim Murray from Vizen Primetime, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with Grant Fear on Sports 1440. I wanted to double back to uh, FSU, and we'll take on Georgia. So yeah. will FSU have, you know, they're going to go into this saying, we have, we want to show everyone that we deserve to be there. Uh, and I was saying on any given day, next week Georgia could play Alabama and Georgia could win that game. So oh, sure. What do you make of this, the 5-6 game, I guess? Yeah, it's, it's kind of the unfortunate nature of where we are uh, in college football. You know, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, the Orange Bowl, even if you weren't playing for a national championship, was – was was a great accomplishment, but when you look at Georgia, a team that had won back-to-back national championships, a team that had won 29 straight games, you know, I do wonder the motivation factor for the Bulldogs, especially when you think about how many talented players they have on that roster and how many probably will opt out of this game. You flip it over to Florida State, similar situation where this team just had their hearts ripped out of their chest, and you know, you might think, well, this team's going to be motivated to prove. Uh, that the committee got it wrong, but I also wonder if Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and uh, you know Jared Verse, a lot of these pieces that are on Florida State's roster uh, that have this goal in mind, hey, we're going to go win a national championship, and then we're going to walk off into the sunset into the professional ranks. You wonder if they're going to play. You know, this is the time, and I'll say this for all the bowl games, guys. Uh, if you're looking to, you know, if you're in a pick and pool with your friends, or if you're looking to bet a little bit on these bowl games. You really got to do your due diligence in uh, whether or not uh, which players are, are playing, whether it be via the transfer portal, uh, which is, uh, you know, opened up and it opened yesterday and it's just been a flood of players into the plant transfer portal, or it's going to be players opting out as they start their professional career. So, uh, you know, that's a game I have not bet from a side perspective. Mm-hmm. But what I have done in that game, guys, is I think it's going to be a low scoring game. You know, Florida State's defense really looked the part. Uh, in the a- ACC championship, and I think Georgia's going to be the same way. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of firepower that potentially opts out offensively. Brock Bowers of Georgia, uh, who dealt with some injuries this year, I would be very, very surprised if he plays in this game. Uh, you look at Lad McConkey, uh, not a big-time pro prospect, but dealt with a ton of injuries, is trying to gut it out in the SEC championship game. So I think this is more of a low-scoring game. Uh, so I did play under 45, 45 and a half, depending you know what numbers are out there. Uh, for Georgia and Florida State. Uh, Grant, you got one more for Tim Murray from Vizen Primetime? Yeah. So with all the guys that potentially will opt out, is that something that college football has to tighten up a little bit? With going to all these bowls and the bowls generating big money, at some point do the fans kind of get turned off by guys opting out? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's starting, and I, I was talking about this yesterday. I think more of the portal situation is, is I think they have to adjust the, the time frame, right? Because, uh, you know, National Signing Day, which used to be a kind of a big celebrated holiday in the college football world with high school students signing on the dotted line to go to their uh, respective colleges, now it's, it's this transfer portal era. And uh, without, you know, the fact that you don't have to sit out a year uh, and, and it's really become glorified free agency. If you look at some of the, you know, the big name quarterbacks that have hit the transfer portal, and and look, I get it, right? If you're a low level recruit coming out of high school, you thrive at, you know, let's say Toledo, like a Daquan Finn, their starting quarterback. If you've got an opportunity to go play at the higher level, you're going to leave, and, and I totally respect that decision. But I think the timing has to be tweaked here. Uh, and you know, honestly, though, you know, for the Bulls. Uh, they just—I don't think they ever will be what they were, uh, you know—and and I don't think they're going away. They still will get highly rated in the time, at, you know, the time frame that they're in, they're being around the, you know, the holidays. But I do think next year, guys, with the expanded playoff, where the third weekend in December will have these quarterfinal or these first-round games, I should say, I think of the top 12 teams will start to see less opt-outs. So I do think the expanded playoff is going to help the nature of the competitiveness of, uh, of these bowl games because, honestly, you know, the lower-level bowl games, you know, I, I work for a company that, that broadcasts a bunch of bowl games, and, you know, the nature of the beast is these games just aren't going to be what they once were. I do think the expanded playoff does help the competitive nature where, you know, in, in middle of December next year, guys, you know, Florida State wouldn't have been left out. They would be at home. They would be playing uh, the group of five best team, which this year is Liberty. Uh, You know, we would have some really intriguing matchups and we wouldn't have opt out. So I do think there is a bit of a fix coming. But all in all, with the portal nature being what it is, uh, I just don't think there's going to be much of a change for especially the lower level bowl games. Uh, that are going to be affected pretty hard uh, by, you know, the best of these teams just, just not being out there. Tim Murray, V's in primetime. Uh, just one last one for you. So with the change next year from 4 to 12, is it fixed? Is the problem fixed here? I mean, there's always going to be new problems. Um, you know, there's going to be, you know, when we expanded to 68 in the NCAA tournament, there's always going to be people complaining. You know, there's always going to be people who think they got uh, left out. You know, I'm just thinking about the rankings this year. Ole Miss finished 11th. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, the team that finished 12th, uh, you know, Oklahoma is going to yeah. be upset and they're proving their point. So there's always going to be somebody disgruntled. Uh, will we ever see a, an undefeated Power 5 champion left out? No. So I think there is a minor fix coming. Obviously, we're going to have auto bids. You have to win, uh, you know, in order to get a buy next year, yeah. you have to be a conference champion. So there's a small fix coming. But look, in this day and age, there's always going to be somebody upset, whether it's a, a 96 field, a 128 field, a 12 field. Somebody's going to be mad that they got left out. Uh, but I do think next year, for me, as a college football fan, I think it does help. I think there'll be less opt-outs. I think it's going to be more competitive games. And honestly, guys, you know, middle of December next year, these games are going to be on campuses. So you're going to mm-hmm. see the pageantry uh, one more time. And I think that's a really, really uh, great thing coming to the sport of college football. So, uh, you know, a lot of controversy, obviously, this year. I feel for Florida State, but I'll circle back to what I said initially to you guys. I actually think the four best teams in college football are going to be playing on New Year's Day. And, and honestly, 
in uh, in this playoff era where we've had so many blowouts. I don't think we're going to get blowouts on New Year's Day. I think we're going to get two really competitive games. I think the the having the games on campus next year that's going to be the biggest thing. And also, you know, the the team that's going to be the most pissed off next year, Tim, is whoever's ranked fifth because now they're going to yeah. not get the buy. Right? Now they don't get a buy. Yeah, so. no. I mean, Florida State would have been mad, but they still would have been in it, right? They could have used that as motivation. Hey, they left us out. We didn't get the buy. Let's go win on our campus, and, and we'll show them mm-hmm. that we deserve that buy. At least they would be in it for sure. But, uh, no, you're right. Uh, you know, there, there, there will be mad teams that – because next year uh, a Power 5 champion will not get to get that bye. So mm-hmm. uh, certainly there's going to be someone upset next year, but uh, it won't be as uh, catastrophic <laughs> as it has been this year. Uh, uh, great insight, Tim. Really appreciate your time uh, and enjoy you know, a little bit of time off and then things ramp up again right after Christmas. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. That's uh, Tim Murray, V's in primetime. Uh, great insight. I mean, man, oh, man, you can just hear and feel the knowledge coming out of him. But uh, So on a, on a day like, uh, you know, when they do the semifinals, Grant, you, would that be something you would tune into on uh, New Year's Day, I guess? Oh, no, that's, I'll, yeah. spend, I'll watch the games New Year's Day for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always good football, so it's quite enjoyable. And you know what's kind of funny? Over the Christmas holidays, I, I enjoy watching the lesser you know, like the Idaho Potato Bowl. For some reason, you know, a bowl game will come on and what, the 27th or 28th? And Duke, you're kind of grinning here. I mean, it's something, maybe there's nothing else on or something, but you always feel drawn to it. Hey, let's check out the Idaho Potato Bowl. Bowl season's great. And uh, whether it be like these kind of unique ones, like the Potato Bowl, the Mayo Bowl, where they bring in and dump the mayo on the winning coach, like, oh, like, Please, no thank you if, if that was me in that situation. But, yeah, and, and you see some of these schools, some of them a little bit on a smaller side. Maybe they did have a great season mm-hmm. and they get the honor of uh, playing in one of these bowl games. And, yeah, some of the high-ranking programs with guys going to the pros or transferring, like uh, Tim was talking about, maybe opt out of them. But I think it does still mean something to a lot of these players to get the chance to play in uh, some of these um, you know high-profile opportunities, even if they know this is the end of the road for them as a football career. Um, they still take a lot of pride in it, and everybody's playing their hearts out. Uh, and like you said, Kevin, there's not really a lot else on um, at certain points, mm-hmm. depending on the World Junior schedule and things uh, for us up here in Canada. But it's always worth checking them out. They're usually a lot of fun to watch. You're just bringing up the Mayo Bowl because it's the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I didn't even, uh, that didn't even register. That's the name of the Mayo Company, yeah. That didn't even register in my mind, Oh, whatever. And I'm sure you've seen it, Grant, the the Mayo Bowl. And the thing that I, you watch the announcers because they're bringing in, uh, whatever, if they're bringing in a hot dog or they're bringing in like chicken fingers, they're always trying to dip something into this mayo and the announcers are going, oh yeah, this is good. But of course it's the Mayo Bowl, they have to say it. Oh. Yeah, that's when I couldn't sell. You, you're dipping a hot dog or French fries or something in the mail that yeah. just doesn't work. Imagine someone but, coming to you guys in uh, the, the broadcast booth in Coachella Valley and saying, okay, Grant, try whatever with mail. Yeah, there'd be a lot of it didn't quite touch the mail, but <laughs> you yeah. can sell it that way. I guess, yeah. That's you the get Duke- close to the mail, but it might not touch it. It's the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and the tickets are uh, available right now, Duke. It's going to be North Carolina uh, versus uh, West Virginia University in the Duke's Mayo Bowl this year in Morgantown, West Virginia. Go Mountaineers. <laughs> Eight and four, the Mountaineers coming in. Five, oh, it's Wednesday, December 27th, 5.30, and it's on going to be on ESPN. And 
well, we can watch that game. We'll be around. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. We'll be uh, we'll be here. Um, and five thirty, perfect time uh, in the evening. And uh, the ESPN coverage means that it will be available on my uh, TSN the, Plus subscription. Well, it'll be our lead story when we come back on the twenty eighth in the morning. <laughs> the Dukes Mayo Bowl, without a doubt, coming out of the holiday break. We'll uh, talk a little. Uh, uh, more with Grant Fuhr when we come back after the break. Wanted to get your thoughts on Grant because uh, we touched on it off the top about brothers in the NHL that have played against each other. We're like tonight it's going to be Jack, Luke, and Quinn Hughes playing. We hope they're all three playing, but uh, New Jersey and Vancouver. And just if you can remember some brothers back uh, when you were playing that you saw on the ice and things like that. So we'll touch on that when we come back. Kevin Carey is Grant Fuhr on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program, 1026 in Edmonton, as we continue on with our co-host, Grant Fuhr in Palm Desert. Uh, Grant, I had a one-on-one. I sat down with Paul Coffey last Wednesday, I guess it was. We were down at the rink before the Oilers left for Winnipeg, and then they had their four- or five-day break, a couple days off, and then back to practice. But it was a great conversation with Coff. Nobody knows him better than you do. But what have you seen, or is there anything you've seen uh, since Paul Coffey's been an assistant coach with the Oilers that they've maybe done differently? Maybe you've heard what they're doing differently. Uh, Anything catch your eye in that sense? Uh, You know what? I think Coff's got the defenseman trying to make plays a lot. You're not seeing as many just throw it on the glass and trying to dump it somewhere. They're actually trying to make plays. And when you've got an offensive group and a great group of forwards like that, you want them to make plays because you got to take advantage of your offensive forwards. So I see a lot more of guys trying to make good passes and trying to basically play with more pace. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the things that he did mention is the fact that just get the puck up to these guys as fast as you can and um, as efficiently as you can. Don't make a a play where you're kind of, is it a a whole play, is it a 50-50 play? If that's not there, don't make it. But try to get it to as quick as these guys as possible because they're they're those guys are your danger players. Once they get the puck on their sticks, like the McDavid's, Drysaddles, Ryan Nugent, Hopkins, Zach Hyman's, they will make the play with it. Uh, have you seen that transition happen more? And then the other aspect, Grant, was about in just kind of getting through the neutral zone. Have you seen more uh, pace and and maybe just getting that flow through the neutral zone? Yeah, and it all goes back to making that first good pass. So, again, it's reading it quicker, making the puck do the work. It's basically what it is. The puck's always faster than anybody skating. So you give it to your dangerous guys. Well, what that does is it puts the other team on defense right away. What? Guess what? They're not going to attack as much if they have to sit back on defense a little bit more mm-hmm. because you've got it to your skill guys. So I, you're starting to see a nice transition of that, and they're starting to get some success with it. You know, the number one key to coaching is communication, especially in this day and age with players. Again, with your relationship, knowing Paul so well, how has he been able to, do you think, to do that? Because, again, this is new to him being, you know, on the bench for the first time. Uh, what about that aspect? Koff's a great communicator. And you, he's going to get instant respect from the players. I mean, you look at everything that Koff's done in the game. So the players are going to give him instant respect, which I think fans sometimes have a tough, well, how would you put it, tough respect for that. Mm-hmm. Some, a lot of the guys that have played the game understand the game, especially the level that Koff played. And translating it to the players, sometimes it's easier for somebody that's done it where you can point it out to a player and because you've done it, it actually gets absorbed a little bit faster. Yeah. And for for Paul Coffey to translate that message to make sure it gets through, he has to have the right terminology because, I mean, 
you would be, it, it's safe to say that he's one of the few guys that could think the game as well as anyone. So, and this isn't the right phrasing, but he has to kind of get on the same level to a guy like, say, a Vinny DeHarnay who might not have that uh, offensive mindset or uh, even a Cody Cece. So how, how does he kind of parlay that into the message to the player? Well, I think Koff does a great job just relating to the players. I think that that's the other thing is he's not a high-stress guy. So he'll, he'll take the time to have a little one-on-one conversations. And you take, him, you take a guy's assets mm-hmm. and you try and build off his assets, which is going to help his weaknesses. So Koff's pretty good at figuring out what a guy's weakness is and what he does really well. He'll stress what's really well in the guy's game and it'll tighten up some of the weaknesses. Uh, so when we had our conversation, we just sat on the bench. Practice was just kind of wrapping up and we had about a oh, a five, six minute conversation. And I asked him, Grant, what was the, what are the hardest things? What's come easier? You know, talked about travel and I mean, this is, you know, and the hours that an assistant coach puts in, you know, and just your thoughts from an outsider looking at what he's doing in that, because that's the hardest part is the, it's the travel, the hours, the, the amount of video you got to go over. It's tough. Oh yeah. Well, there's playing's one thing. Coaching's a different animal. I mean, playing's the easy part because you're there, you're a certain time of the day and such coaching. You're there. You're the first one in the rank. You're the last one out of the rank. And there's a lot of hours. There's a lot of video and it doesn't matter whether you're at home or on the road on the road just makes it even more complicated because now you've got to do video, a lot of video done on the airplane. So yeah, thanks. Coaching's a tough gig. How was it for you when you were doing the goaltending coaching in, in Arizona? And I'm kind of thinking in the sense that you had to worry about a couple guys. You're 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 trying to make sure that you're along the lines in the in the um, you know like Coff's worried about six seven guys right now. Now when you were doing that, were you worried about just two or three guys in the organization, or how did it, how did it work for you? Well, your priorities are your two guys that are playing. But you also want to know what the defensemen are thinking. You want to know what the forwards are thinking. So I tried to sit in on all the different meetings so that you understood what everybody's trying to do. And as a goalie, you need to understand what's happening in front of you. So there's probably a little bit more that goes into it just because you want to understand what they're doing so that you can relate that to the goalies. So you would sit in the defensive meetings and kind of take a little bit of that and say, this is what, you know, what's going on in there. And, and, and the goaltenders would react to that. Yeah. I mean, you want to do that. You want to sit on on the specialty teams. You kind of sit in on everything because, again, as a goalie, you're a big part of all that. So you've got to understand what everybody else is trying to think and do as well. Yeah. If you got a text for Grant Fear, 1 401 Grant, we kind of started the show off this morning at seven, uh, just discussing brothers playing in the NHL. And uh, it looks like we'll have three of them tonight in New Jersey, in Vancouver with Jack, Luke, and Quinn Hughes. It, it hasn't happened very often, but there have been a lot of brother combinations that have played with each other, against each other. Have you got some off the top of your head that we uh, could kind of touch on? I think the first couple of sets that popped to mind are the Hunter brothers. You had Davey, you had Mark, uh, you had Dale. So that pops, that pops first to mind. And then you had the Cortinals, Mm -hmm. Russ and Jeff. So those are the first two sets of brothers that first popped into my head. Uh, we always touch on the Sutters here, obviously, because they were yeah, well, the, the most. That's not even brother. That's just a whole family. <laughs> um, but we were trying to think because the last time that three brothers were on the ice at the same time were the Stahl brothers. 
Yep. And that would have been with Carolina and the New York Rangers, uh, and I think it was last year. So, uh, But I think it's only happened that there's been four, and that would have been the Sutter brothers, and that would have been uh, Brent and Dwayne, and then the twins, Richie and Ronnie, Philly and the uh, Islanders. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, even back in those days when you were playing, and you know, and we had Dave Maloney on, and, and he was talking about it as well. So, yeah, well, Dave, Dave played with his brother Don. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's very rare, and it's extremely rare to see four of them on the ice together. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you make of what would happen? What would the feeling be like uh, in Vancouver tonight between with all? And I mean, the Hughes, all the Hughes brothers are playing so well. Yeah, and they're all skilled guys. So there's less hard feelings. You take the Hunter brothers, they all played the same style. They're all a little chippy and a little bit mean. So there'd be a little bit going to that. The Kachuks are the same way. They're yeah. both a little chippy and mean. So it, when you have three skilled brothers, it'll probably be a little bit different. Uh, how funny was Davey Hunter to play with? Oh, Hunts was awesome. Yeah. Uh, he was one of my favorite teammates. He's a character. Uh, I always think of, and of course we had Dave Lumley on here and there, I can't remember what it was, but it was a, a function at, at old, uh, Rexall and it might've been the last game at Rexall, but they had a big, a big, uh, and you know, Dave, he's a bit of a bigger guy now, but, and they had, they had a big Jersey covering one of the, a whole group of seats in the stands, like a big, massive Jersey. And Dave Lumley looked at me and he looked at this Jersey and he said, well, the Oilers are finally coming to their senses and they're going to retire Dave Hunter's Jersey. <laughs> oh no. The boys gave Hunts a hard time a lot of times, but he'd give it right back yeah. to him. So that, that's the fun of a dressing room. Mm-hmm. I don't think people understand how much fun it is in the dressing room and how sacred it is. And mm-hmm. it just, it's a great place to be. And that's when you retire that. That's the first thing you miss is going to the dressing room to see the guys. Do you do you recall an old story with Davey Hunter? Uh, I mean, when you guys would go out the night before on the ice, that he would he always told me that you would stick together in packs on the ice so Slats couldn't get a whiff of what was happening the night before from a certain player. Oh no, there's a few guys that would slap Vicks on and <laughs> any anything to mask the smell of being out the night before. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so any other brother combinations and even the one tonight, uh, that's kind of an interesting dynamic because all three are playing together, uh, playing at a, at a level. Uh, what have you seen from uh, most specifically Quinn Hughes uh, challenging for the Norris trophy? He seems to, whenever you get to watch the late games, he is one of the guys that your eyes are drawn to. No, he's become an elite defenseman and controls the game, controls the play, seems to be very heady, very smart with a puck. So and he's fun to watch. And I think that's the other thing is he's a little bit like cough where he's up in the rush and mm-hmm. likes to create things. So Coachella Valley, you had two games on the weekend uh, against the Ontario rain, a back to back. How did the weekend go for you? Well, we continue our ways on the road. We're eight and one on the road. Now we went into Ontario and shut them out to nothing. And then we managed to come back home and lost in overtime on kind of a, I, we'll call it a freak goal that tied the game up. Hmm. Our goalie ended up getting knocked out and the guy just kind of shoveled the puck from the corner and hit the goalie lying there and rolled into the net. And in my opinion, the officials probably should have blown it dead if you're protecting players, but they didn't. So there's nothing you can do about it. Grant Fuhr with us uh, from Palm Desert does the color commentary for the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, who played goal on the first uh, game, Grant, to the uh, 2 nothing shutout on the road? Chris Drieger. Okay. I mean, and Driegs has been phenomenal for us all year long. He's kind of been the backbone of things. And 
it's a lot of what we had with Joey Decord last year where he stood on his head most nights and Driggs has been, oh, I think his record doesn't show it wins wise, mm-hmm. but he's been phenomenal all year long. Uh, can you put a, can you put your finger on why the birds have played so well on the road as opposed to not continuing that success at home? No, we're all kind of searching for that. <laughs> I mean, they, they dominate games on the road. They have no issue scoring on the road and we get home and we have a bit of a tough time at, I think the biggest problem has been playing 60 minutes at home. Mm-hmm. We'll play a good first period. Second period seems to be a little bit sketchy. First five to seven minutes of the third is a continuation of the second, and then we make a mad push for the last 10. So I think it's just a matter of playing 60 good minutes at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been able to keep an eye on uh, Oilers netminder uh, Jack Campbell in Bakersfield? Yeah, Jack's getting better and better. Okay. I think that's one thing that I've noticed is his first couple of games were a little bit shaky, and since then he's played pretty well. I mean, I know the game he played against us, yeah, we ended up winning 4-2 with an empty netter, but he actually played pretty well in that game. How, I guess, how would you handle things moving forward with Jack Campbell? I mean, how many games down there does he need? Uh, like, just what's your thought process on his succession moving forward here? I think his play dictates it. I mean, you'd like to see him have seven, eight really strong games. So a lot of that's going to be dictated by how he plays, what kind of a success level he has in Bakersfield, the read of how his confidence is. And you got to spend time. you got to talk to him. you got to figure out where his head's at before you bring him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you make again? So Manny Legacy, we discussed this last week a little bit. So I think Manny Legacy's probably had a little bit of uh, what to do and ha- had some help uh, moving Jack Campbell moving forward. Uh, have you heard anything on that? And what do you make of it? Uh, you know what? I haven't heard anything on it, but it's whatever works. I mean, he's had success working with Manny before. So I think that's a big part of Jack's confidence level is bringing somebody in that he's comfortable with and that he's had success with because you want him to get his confidence back. Mm-hmm. And I think the Oilers have done a good job of allowing Manny to go there and work with them because you want to see him succeed. How do you, how do you, uh, I guess, go about this, Grant? Like, are we down to the last chance that if he comes up here and doesn't play well, then what do you do? So, I mean, it has to be in the, the scenario that he has to be 100% ready that, the, the organization has to be 100% sure that this has got to be an opportunity where he's going to succeed in. So is that why you say, so leave him down there for, you know, six, eight games, see what he does? Well, good. I, don't, I wouldn't have a set number of games, okay. but I, you want to see six to eight good games in a row. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. You want to see him play well for a stretch and know that his confidence is where it needs to be to play in the National Hockey League. So we always get texts and calls and stuff like that and people saying, well, but he's doing it at the AHL level. How, you know, it's not going to translate to the NHL level. So how do you respond to that? As a goalie, it will translate to the National Hockey League level because the National Hockey League is more structured. Whereas the American Hockey League, you've got defensemen down there that are learning. There's more mistakes in the American League. So it's a little scrambler around the net. Mm -hmm. So for a goalie, it's actually a little bit harder sometimes to come down and play because it is a little less structured. And you think, I mean, you're probably on the same lines as everyone. The Oilers have played better defensively, so that should translate into the goaltending being better. No, most definitely. I think the start of the year, that was part of the problem is they were terrible in their own end. Mm -hmm. And they've cleaned that up a little bit, and you can see it. 
and they look more comfortable on their own end now. It's not like it's a mad scramble or a Chinese fire drill. Yeah. They actually look comfortable on their own end. They're making good plays, and they're getting better and better. And all of a sudden, now you're starting to see some results, and they're winning some hockey games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Texter coming in from uh, old school hockey, Doug. Hey, Kevin Grant, I'm still old school when it comes to coaching, and I was really second-guessing coffee coming in as an assistant. I know the years and hundreds of hours coaches have put in uh, to get a shot at the NHL. Having said that, Coffey is a Hall of Famer. Not only played with Charlie Huddy, his experience goes back to playing with D-men of skills, uh, some higher skilled, some lower. So Coffey has seen every type of D-man, and like Grant said, Coffey is a good communicator. So it's early in his coaching career. Let's see how it all kind of works out. And that's what we said off the top when he was hired. People were really down on this, the fact that he was coming in to a situation where he'd never been before. But man, I I think out of, this is a big story, how he's handled this, how the defense has, has come on and just that relationship being fostered between, you know, coach and players. I mean, this is a dynamic that seems to be working. Just your thoughts overall on Paul coming in, Grant. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough spot for the team. It's a tough spot for Paul. But Paul's a very relatable guy. And with the knowledge that he has and the skill set that he has, is he going to teach him how to block shots and stuff? No. Is he going to teach him how to read the game, make that first pass? I mean, you got to remember, Paul played with a very skilled group. So with a very skilled group, it's exactly what the owners have now. So he would know how to get pucks to the forwards. He would know how to create the transition that's going to make the forward group more successful. So it, it, it's a good fit for Paul. That's a solid analysis, uh, Grant. So we're going to wrap things up with our co-host, uh, Grant Fear on Sports 1440. When we come back on the Kevin Carey Show, right after the break, stay with us. All right, welcome back uh, to the Kevin Carey Show on Sports 1440 with our co-host in uh, Palm Desert, Grant Fuhr. Uh, off the top, before we got to Rob Ray, Grant, you were saying you were at an event, uh, another golf event. What was that one all about? Yeah, it's our team golf event here. So the guys have got to have a pretty lax week, so coach gave him a couple of days off, and then mm. we had our big event here that benefits the charity wing of the hockey club. So what's that all about? Because we're going to talk about a charity event that will be uh, uh, going for tomorrow here on the show, and then part of the Jason Greger Month of Giving. But what? How, how many of like these events? This is a, so. This is with the hockey team, Coachella Valley Firebirds. It is. It was our second annual that benefits the One Valley Foundation, which is our charitable wing of the hockey club. Which somehow I somehow got voted into being president <laughs> of. So. Oh, I wonder how. <laughs> but no, it's. It's going to benefit kids here in the Valley and it's, we do it through philanthropy. We do it through education and we do it, of course, with hockey, trying to grow the kids into just make it better life, better for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the reaction been? So how, like, you know, when everyone comes together, you can't beat it on a golf course when you're doing a tournament, you've been in so many of them. Uh, What's it like for you? And it's been great. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what the grand total was, but I think we're probably going to end up raising about $70,000. So it's a nice way to go. And you know what? People love it. They like seeing the guys. And down here, because we're a non-traditional hockey market, you want the guys out in the community. You Mm -hmm. want people to become familiar with them. And they've done a really good job of that. Uh, so tomorrow, uh, Jason Greger does his month of giving. It's uh, a couple of days underway already. So, I mean, you can't beat what Gregor's been doing for the community, raising money. Uh, uh, every year I've been doing an event for it. Uh, we'll be doing two this year. But the one is at the, the Ranch Golf and Country Club. Uh, you played the ranch a few times, I'm sure, Grant. 
I have. Yeah. It's been uh, a few years, but I've played there a couple times. Yeah. So I play there every Sunday with Marie McCourt to Sean Piercy and uh, the Wiz, Adam Wizzer, and get pounded on the course. These guys give it to me. It's not fun. I mean, you know what? The other thing, too, Grant, they're hitting it. And I'm not, I guess I'm, I'm not a long ball hitter, but I'm not short. But they're like 70 yards past. It's just insane already. Can't do it anymore. We got some kids down here that can hammer the golf ball. Yeah. And they're good players. So we get to find different ways to beat them. <laughs> yeah, you got to get in their head, I guess. I don't know. Um, so anyway, it'll be a, an event uh, that we will uh, have at the Ranch uh, Golf and Country Club with uh, myself and Marie McCourt. We'll have details on that tomorrow morning. The bid, We'll start the bidding in the morning, and then uh, Jason Greger will continue the bidding throughout the show uh, from 2 to 6 on the Jason Greger Show. So I, I can't imagine how many uh, requests you get, Grant, to go in a tournament or to be a part of uh, something, whether it be under the Grant Fear Foundation, just uh, just touch on that, I guess, and especially at this time of the year, because you know the, the Christmas auctions there there there's tons of them, and and you want to you want to try to give as much as you can, but it's hard. Uh, you know what? It, it is hard because I probably get hundred different things a year. Mm-hmm. So you try. And I used to try and go to every event where my wife and I would spend 150 days a year on the road, just going to charity events. Mm-hmm. So. Now with working for the Firebirds, that part of it slowed down a little bit. We still try and do as much as we can, and we'll still get, oh, probably 30, 35 events in a year. That's just simply amazing. So, And I know Lisa does so much work uh, trying to organize because that's the hardest part. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, she's definitely the brains of the operation. Like I I keep telling her, I'm just a pretty face of the whole thing, which (laughs) is probably not a real good thing, so... But no, she's the backbone behind my foundation and everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything going on, uh, you know, charity-wise that you you got uh, an involvement here in the next few weeks over Christmas? No, I think we'll just get through the holidays and then Lisa will start to really ramp up the work on my golf tournament that's mm-hmm. May 17 down here. So we'll start to get ramped up on that and continue with the charitable things that we do here in the Valley and We'll try and squeeze in a few trips to some of the different charity things. I've got my youngest daughter getting married in February oh over in Thailand. So we're wandering over there for a couple of weeks. So it's it's going to be a busy new year. That's exciting. Uh, you've got to be fired up to go to Thailand for a few weeks. Uh, when I land, I'll be fired up. The flight over... It, it's not quite as enjoyable flying those distances anymore. <laughs> uh, so with your golf tournament in May... Uh, and uh, I, I assume, like, too bad I couldn't ask Lisa this, but you're working on a tournament because uh, I was just having discussions with Darla Zook for, for my tournament, the Kevin Carey's uh, Celebrity Easter Seals Classic, and we're we're working on that, um, you know, a year in advance for the following year. Uh, did we lose Grant? Uh, yeah, the uh, oh. Sausage Fingers back at it again. <laughs> uh, just accidentally closed the uh, browser with the video call. Nah, no worries. So if, I'll, I'll, I'll send Grant a text saying that was my bad and apologies. But <laughs> He's probably still listening right now going, what's going on? So, uh, Grant, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, Grant Fuhrer every Tuesday from 9 to 11. It was lots of fun to catch up with uh, Rob Ray and Grant. But uh, Grant will obviously be on uh, from uh, 9 to 11 next Tuesday. But getting back to, you know, so his tournament, he said, it is in May. You're working on these tournaments for months and years, even a year in advance. You're already thinking about what are we going to do next year? Can we make it better? Will we have the same sponsors? Can we get generate more? Can we raise more money? Who can we, you know, approach where because people get approached so often, just like, for, for instance, 
you know, the, the Easter Seals tournament, Prism Flow Products has been our presenting sponsor for, oh, you know, in over a dozen years. But they Prism Flow does tons and tons of charity work and tons of philanthropy. So you almost go, well, you know, guys, can you, can you come to the, can we go to the well another time? And you know, the, the generosity that you see from, you know, companies like prison flow and we get them all the time, you know, and this is just another instance with Jason Greger's month of giving. So we'll have the details for that tomorrow uh, coming up in the morning on, on the golf excursion, a golf at uh, the ranch golf and country club with uh, Marie McCourt and myself. And uh, then we've got another one, a big dinner coming up uh, next week that we'll do uh, on the Jason Greger month of giving. Uh, that's a chop and it'll be with uh, a couple of uh, regular co-hosts. If you can imagine that they all said, yes, it should be a lot of fun. Maybe we'll even bring the Duke along. Would you come along, Duke, and do uh, maybe I don't know, regale us with the? If it's a, could you imagine if it's a, like a right after a, a Tropicana Orangeman game, you could come in and say, "Man, what a game it was!" I, I do a live, a live on location hit uh, for the people enjoying this nice dinner of uh, instead of an Oilers morning recap, it's just Tropics morning recap. Uh, I don't know how entertaining that would be, but I do have a um, a very poor stand up comedy routine that I have. Uh, put together over years of waking people up at 7 a.m. for slow pitch games and things on the mic on the loudspeaker outside of our trailers. It's very bad, intentionally so, but uh, it still garners a few laughs as a result of how intentionally bad it is. Or I could sing poorly as well. Well, as long as you're providing some form of entertainment, that's all that matters. I have to add value. Otherwise, why am I there? Yeah. Right? I usually crack a few jokes at the start of these dinners. I've done a lot of them. And there's one staple joke. I can't say it right now because you got to keep it under wraps. But Well, yeah, you don't want to spoil no. it. No, but I almost came close because there was some. Uh, there was a diversion and then there was a total uh, mentality of the group trying to get me on this joke, and I couldn't believe it. Randy Furby was one of them, but we'll get him. We'll get him. And we gotta, I got to do a dinner with Randy Furby at Norman's from two years ago yet. I would like to come to that one. Really? Oh, we'll you kidding you me? Okay. Randy Furby? <laughs> well, that was like my entire childhood was the Furby 4. Really? That, like, I grew up playing hockey. Um, we'll and, get you in for that one. Then. But, curl, like, that was my parents' thing was curling okay. and, and fastball. But, like, yeah, so the Furby 4 in my house were, were basically idols. We might as well have had a, a banner of them up over top of the, the family television. You should have hung out uh, with them at Moe's Sports Parlor back in the day. <laughs> That was a scene. I can only imagine. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks to all our guests that came on today. Uh, Dave Maloney, man, that was good to catch up with Dave talking about the Rangers and back in the uh, early 80s with uh, Herb Brooks and the New York Rangers in New York. Uh, Mark Spector, Frank Saravalli, uh, Grant Fuhr, co-host from 9 to 11, and uh, his buddy Rob Ray from the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, good chat with that. And then uh, Tim Murray from uh, Prime Primetime. Trying to explain what's going on with the Final Four in uh, college football, and hopefully it's better next year. Coming up at the top of the hour, it is Fantasy Frenzy with... Former Oshep T-Bird. Connor Alley and the Duke of Delburn. Brandon Douglas at uh, noon. It's the lowdown with Alan Mitchell, and then 2 o'clock till 6 is the Jason Greger Show. Please uh, check in with the month of giving, uh, and if you can, uh, be generous. Uh, It's a great cause at this time of the year, and so many people need our help uh, at this time of the season. Uh, Tomorrow, David Schlemko will be our co-host from uh, 9 to 11. Just about forgot what time he comes in. The the, the Schlem Dog Millionaire 
Um, and we'll uh, have some uh, uh, an exciting new avenue, I guess, with our uh, St. Albert Dodge game of the day. We've got a couple of avenues to go that way. So uh, we'll see you bright and early in the morning. Thanks for tuning in today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all your texts and your interaction. We couldn't do it without you, our listeners. Uh, coming up top of the hour, it's Fantasy Frenzy with the Duke and Connor Halley. Before that, here is the Duke with a Sports 1440 update. Have a great day, everyone.